time will time will tell. Uh, I'm sure it will be the uh, the inevitable outcome. Um, anyway, uh, we let's get on with it. Um, welcome everybody uh, to Bring Food Live on air, bringing it to you every Friday. Delighted to be back um, after a two week break. Um, this is our first episode of the year 2024. So let me take the opportunity, uh, firstly, of wishing everybody a very happy new year. Um, I hope everyone's had the chance to just down sort of uh, take a bit of a break, take a couple of days off, enjoy time away from work and what have you. I hope you've come back uh, from that period fully refreshed and ready to go uh, for another crazy year in recruiting. So thank you for spending uh, the first Friday uh, in the afternoon uh, with us on Brainfood Live. So wonderful to see everybody. Uh, okay, um, I hope you've all heard that. So that was a sound test. <laughs> um, uh, can you let me know whether you can hear uh, what I just said in the chat stream? Uh, let me know if the audio is okay. Uh, we should be broadcasting this live, of course, on multiple places, including a zillions of LinkedIn Lives. I think we've got a record number of LinkedIn Lives going on today. Um, so hopefully uh, you can hear and see me in all of those places there. Quick check on LinkedIn, um, which I have to do on my phone. Am I going live? Please say I am. Yes, I am. Okay, that's going. That's, that's going. I think that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. All right, let's get on with it. Um, good to see you, Adam. Um, I, I hope life is good. We haven't even talked since the holiday. So good holiday, mate. I hope it was, how was St. Andrews, actually? Yes, that's what I was about to say. I spent uh, four or five days in St. Andrews, uh, your old stomping ground, and um, uh, over New Year. It's just such a lovely little place. Um, you know, beautiful beaches, like nice historic buildings and things like that. Because it's quite posh, you've got some nice restaurants and things. And um, yeah, just wonderful to get out of the city. And the sky was beautiful blue. You can have the beaches are well underrated there. Um, but because it's basically the golf course obviously distracts everybody um, and uh, students obviously in the pubs and what have you. Uh, but the beaches are amazing. Um, I, I think that in the summer, it's definitely worth having a spending a, a visit there, uh, even if you're not into golf, for instance. But um, but yeah, glad you enjoyed it, mate. That's good. We didn't we didn't play golf. It's just a lovely place to walk around. And yeah, the beaches are great. And uh yeah, night, night, lots of nice places to eat, and it's just, yeah. And because it's on the East Coast, the West Coast tends to get all the bad weather coming across the Atlantic, and then it kind of, it, we kind of suck it up. Like, so the, it's, the, it's often yeah. cloudier and wetter and stuff in the West Coast, but by the time the weather's over there, it's, the cloud's gone. Yeah, yeah, you're probably the only person that's kind of uh, raved about East Fife as a, as a, for, for this weather quality because it's cold. I, I mean, it's really cold. Yeah. When I was there, I was there uni for five years and it was like absolutely Baltic. It was like, yeah, I get it. It's nice, but it is well too cold. That convinced me that even though I love Scotland, it was like I was never going to be able to live up Scotland. It was just way too cold for me. So, uh, what so did yeah, you there five we have years? it. Were you held back? No, I did. It's a four year university course. Um, yeah. So I was technically held back because I didn't have a year. Um, end up doing like a, a, a an M lit effort to try and do some like management economics and stuff like this. Oh, um, you, did a, you did a post post grad, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Um, let's talk about it. We have to thank our sponsors every week. Brain Food Live is sponsored by one of the companies uh, in recruitment technology that step up and say, you know what, we want to support this show. Um, and today's sponsor is none other 
than the man he, right here. It is Poetry HR. Um, tell us about Poetry, uh, Adam. Why should people care about this business? Thank you very much. And just to correct you, the name of the product's Poetry um, rather than Poetry HR. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll be expecting my money back for that faux pas. Uh, <laughs> poetry is a recruiter workspace uh, designed to save recruiters 31 minutes per day by giving them really quick access to all the different solutions that they need to accomplish their tasks. 30 inbuilt solutions for recruitment marketing, recruitment operations, recruiter learning, and tools such as research tools, uh, Boolean builders, uh, various different uh, useful things that currently your recruiters are probably using 30 separate uh, facilities to access today. So saving of 31 minutes per time. And for you um, conservative organizations out there who are nervous about generative AI and giving your recruiters access to ChatGPT or Bard or whatever, just raw, then everything's done within poetry on that. And every call gets um, every call gets recorded so you can get to see what everybody's doing. Everybody's collaborating. You can see what's working well, what's not working well. A rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody's outreach messaging. Everybody's Boolean strings. Everybody's information they need to do their job gets better and better over time. And Sarah White is absolutely correct. It sounds like sales enablement technology for recruiters because that's exactly what it is. And if you're not familiar with sales enablement technology, it is coming down a storm in mainstream sales and marketing over the last five years. And we really, really need it in talent acquisition. Yep, fantastic. And you, you've missed off the, the best bit, which is it's, it's basically free, isn't it, for first users? So um, um, why, don't you, um, why don't you check it out, guys? Uh, share the link into the chat stream, Adam. And if anybody basically wants to think about this or even have a go, um, uh, your first account is for free. So, um, so give it a shot um, whilst you're at it. Um, all right, brilliant stuff, Adam. Um, let's. Uh, we should review the newsletter. I mean, it was a bit of a strange newsletter, wasn't it? It was just a review of, of brain food, really. So, and, and we'll get into this. Uh, get into the show. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of lots of really interesting points in the newsletter, which are useful for especially recruitment marketers because there's a lot in there around engagement and content and marketing. So, um, I I I I've become really fond of your polls and the answers that that people are giving. So, you asked what do people want to see more of from recruiting brain food in 2024, and you gave a few. Um, suggestions and 30% said they want RoboHung, which I think RoboHung is presumably a custom GPT. Is it? Is that what you're going to yeah. do? Yeah, basically, some, something that's trained on, on brain food data essentially that can replace the, uh, the brain food larder, which is basically kind of defunct at, uh, you know, at this point. So, yeah, I need to get that, I get that enabled for sure. 30% also said they wanted in-person meetings, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I mean, it's difficult to scale that, isn't it? Um, and I think everything you do is about setting stuff up for scale. So, uh, however, is there a gap for, is there a gap for in-person recruiting brain food meetings? There might be similar, probably audience crossover with the likes of True, but I don't think there's much else. Um, so, Sue, 
pretty similar kind of crossover of audience, but not quite because it's not just sourcing people, of course, who tune in for uh, brain food and subscribe to the newsletter, etc. But um, interesting to know if you do anything with that this year. Yeah, I, I think you know what I'm tempted to do it, but one of the things that stops me is a little bit is it will obviously be located in London. It's going to be very like it's not going to be a, a you know it's, it's, it'll be kind of like hiving off a group of people. So, but I am traveling a lot this year, so maybe I just end up doing a brain food meetup wherever I'm going, um, and and that can help you know internationalize it a little bit and not just have it as a, as a, as one one thing you know as as as, as a as as a as a center point in 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 UK or London so so yeah we'll see yeah it could create a two tier level of engagement from audience members if you were to go right we're going to do meeting we're going to do gatherings or whatever and it's london um yeah. so yeah that could that could that could be a problem um well done sub- subscriber growth 35000 people subscribing for the newsletter. Um, interested to see that the average open rate was 39%, but it occasionally spiked to as much as 50. Did you notice anything which told you why? Um, was it subject no. headings? Was it times of the year? Was it, yeah. I can tell you, no, because the subject heading is actually really the same every time. It's just recruiting yeah. brain food issue number. Um, so I was surprised at some of those, I think sometimes the odd aberrant, uh, sort of thing happens. Um, I can't really track it to anything that's relevant. Um, and I think, you know, if it's high thirties, early forties, it's probably normal because it, there's a bunch of people that basically have stopped opening it. And, and once you do that, and then they're, they're lost to you to, to, to a degree, because you're still sending it to them, but it goes off to a different email address and, They'll complain later on to me and say, oh, where's the newsletter gone? I said, listen, mate, you're still on the database, but obviously there's, there's filters that are like moving off in a random direction. I can't correct that. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those where I'll probably have to remind everybody to drag the newsletter out of whatever inbox it is, make sure you whitelist it, make sure you stick it into primary, et cetera. Um, so there's a little bit of CRMing to do, I think um just to make sure all of that's tickety boo but um but yeah it's, it's just the fate of having anything that large scale people you know it's gonna be a bunch of people that um are not gonna see it once and then they'll, they'll they may never see it again as a result of it being filtered away yeah okay three um one more which is just a straightforward point and then and then two quick questions um the straightforward point is as gavin's pointed out like Sunday gets double the number of um, double the number of opens compared to every other day. Monday being the next, which is like half as much as Sunday, and then it just goes down, down, down. Of course, during the week, that's quite obvious. Um, it's great. Sunday, Sunday's great. It just, what, what it shows is, what it shows is, brain fooders are engaged. They're engaged right. in what they do professionally. Um, you know, because most people in recruitment are not looking at professional emails on a Sunday. It's a brain food on the audience, which is which is different. It's the it's the five percent most engaged and most sophisticated. I think um, that's exactly the reason why it was actually set on Sunday. It was a, it wasn't yeah. a challenge, but it was always you know what the people who are really into the the work will probably look at this, and you know if you're not, then you don't have to be. But you know they, they wouldn't be part of this audience. So um, so yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, Gavin said when there's no NFL. I'm not sure what NFL stands for, but. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, two quick questions. So the first is, this year, um, subscribers for This Week in Recruiting, your LinkedIn newsletter, 
uh, overtook the, the main recruiting brain food newsletter, 41,000. What is, what does that tell you? What, 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 what have you learned about that? Because it's, it is, I mean, that, that's like, what, how, how, how old is that? Two years? Yeah, well, you can tell by the numbers. It's like 140-odd. So that's every week's three years, maybe, coming up to yeah, three years. So it's, I mean, yeah. it's a much newer newsletter, though, than, than the main Recruiting Brainfield newsletter, but it's overtaken it. What did, what, any, any, like, observations? Yeah, I think so. It's not better. Um, yeah, I definitely don't. I def, definitely think it's a supplementary newsletter to the thing on Sunday. Um, but I, 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 the, the rationale behind why I think more people have subscribed to it is purely because LinkedIn pushed newsletter as a product. Um, uh, so I think they've got a motivation to get people signing up to it. And, you know, if you push, push something out every week, you can get two, 300 new subscribers without necessarily, you know, uh, I don't think it's anything linked potentially to the content per se, even though um, it looks like every week there's 10,000 people reading that. So, um, you know, there's a decent number of people reading it. Um, but I do believe it's boosted basically by LinkedIn. So there's a lot of platform mechanics there. Uh, LinkedIn have got a, a billion users apparently, so they can easily insert newsletters into various places and then make sure people get get to see it. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, obviously I'll keep going with it. It's a different product. It's a different kind of thing I'm writing there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's got more than uh, Brave Food on Sunday. Okay, one more. And sorry that I've kicked off the sort of jingoist uh, comments mm. here about like, you know, by me <laughs> Figured all the Americans. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so ah, it's American football, right? Okay. So um, last, last, last thing I wanted to ask about was um, 50, across all the different broadcast you know, channels, there's about 1,500 people a week that are tuning in for Brain Food Live. Um, which, which I think you've said is that means that it's definitely the best uh, regular recruitment broadcast because there aren't any others. Where, <laughs> what happened to the others? Because when I can't remember if I start, I can't remember if you started this and then I joined you, or whether I was at the beginning as well. But I was near the beginning certainly, and there was quite a few at that time. What happened to them? It's just, I tell you what, it's, it's hard work. It's tiring work to keep doing it. So I, I totally understand. Um, that most sort of live streams, podcasts, whatever it is, they get abandoned after a certain period. Spotify, for instance, if you do more than 10 podcasts, you're already in the top 1% of all uh, uh, podcasts for longevity. Um, and I think live stream is, is similar, if not if, if not uh, even. I mean, we're now habituated to it, so it's probably harder for us to stop than it is to, to, uh, to just continue. Like, there's a momentum behind the fact that we do this every week. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people... You know, they did some great shows. I'd love to see them back, but you're right. A lot of them have fallen by the wayside. So, um, and, and and I don't see anybody doing a live stream in the same way we're doing it. So this is not quite a podcast, obviously. This is going out live, zero prep as usual. Um, and we're just, we're just throwing it out there. Um, and, and yeah, I don't see anybody do it. So yeah, if you want to do it, let me know. I'm happy to help. I'd love to see more people get onto LinkedIn Live and you know, do all of these things. So it's yeah. it's a chat show. It's it's the loose women of. Uh, of <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> About as bad. The chat's even worse than loose women. It's the, it's the um, Phil and Holly. It's the Phil and Holly of. You could be Phil. Oh, don't even go anyway. go there. That's that's lost its <laughs> lost its uh, cultural cachet. Uh, right, yes. let's get on with this. Uh, forecasting for this year. Adam Gordon, entrepreneur, launching product. What do you see, man? Give us a few headlines before we bring in some people who know what they're talking about. Um, okay, I think that um, buyers of technology solutions 
have got fed up with the amount of different point solutions that they need to use to get all their stuff done. This is not a self-serving comment, by the way. Um, it, I, I, I think that a lot of existing tech products in our space are going to be broadening out their functionality and um, offering things which traditionally they haven't. At the same time, a lot of tech mega businesses are probably going to move into uh, the recruiting, the HR tech and, and recruiting space almost by stealth because they're, they're, they're already offering work tech related things around project management and that type of stuff. I think that our recruitment tech landscape could look quite different by the end of this year. Um, and that's really the only prediction I've got. I think the applicant, the applicant tracking system as the core um, technology platform is going to be under more challenge than ever by both CRMs and um, other entrants or products which are going to diversify their offerings. But yeah, let's hear from the experts. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah, I switched off within 10 seconds of you you're talking about that, Adam. But, uh, but no, very interesting. I think t this year will be a year Need your where... No, there's going to be a lot of consolidation in terms of tech. I think companies will be making big tech decisions this year because, you know what, it may not be as frenetic as hiring. You know, when you're completely overwhelmed by numbers of vacancies, for instance, you're not able to do any switch in, switch out. But I think this year people will think, okay, let's get a better system than we had last year. Let's do an audit and all the stuff we're using. Why are we still subscribing to this thing? It's been there for three years. No, no one's yeah. using it. But get rid so I think we're going to see a lot of that turnover. It's going to be a very, very interesting year for recruitment tech. All right, listen, let's get on with it. Um, uh, Rich, uh, Bradley, I'm going to bring you on first on Time Zone. Sarah, I know you're there. I know you got massively early. I'll get you on shortly, my dear. Um, get Amit on as well. But let's get Rich on because I think uh, he is here somewhere. Let me just find him. Can, can I just, just see, just while we're bringing Rich on, can I just add, add one other thing, actually, which I think is, to me, is is I am absolutely convinced this is going to happen. The emergence of generative AI as a like transformational tool within recruiting during 2023, that whole like explosion of excitement is going to really settle down in 2024 as it just becomes a table stakes piece of technology that we use alongside the internet, alongside email, alongside you know other things that we've just become accustomed to. It's not going to change everything about the way we work, but it's going to be embedded into everything we work, and it's just going to become a part of the furniture. Yeah, I think so. It's getting already that way. Our excitement level is kind of tipped a little bit, and it's like, yeah, sure, we're going to use this to do that. And it's like, whatever. You know, it's lost a little bit of magic, which means it's basically mainstream very effectively. Um, all right, let's say hello to Rich. Richard, great to see you as usual. Uh, for the people who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do, sir? Hi, Hung. Hi, hey, hey, Adam. It's great to see you both. Uh, Happy New Year and all of that. Uh, I'm Richard Bradley. I run uh, Killy OCG's uh, RPO program now globally um, with a team of about a thousand people delivering into a couple of hundred different customers. 
Crazy. Um, you're, you're actually a person that's a, a fairly significant responsibilities there, Rich, um, which makes you a perfect person to talk about this. Um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm kind of operating as a, always I'm trying to peek through uh, in my own lens. And it's usually, you know, hung, talk to one person, you know, what does he know? Um, but you, you're in charge of a huge number of recruiters, global sweep in terms of what you're doing. Um, so yeah, what is your forecast for, for 2024 when it comes to RPO, mate? Your segment, um, what areas you think are growing, which are going to shrink, which regions? Give us your take on it, uh, Rich. Yeah, look, I, I don't think I've got a particular crystal ball. Um, it'd be really interesting. I, I like those that put their predictions out at the beginning of the year and, uh, you know, then review them at the uh, at the end of the uh, or the beginning of the next year. Kevin Wheeler, I always love that. He comes out with his projections and sees how he goes. I, I love stuff like that because, you know, putting it out there. Um, so for those of you, please don't record this because I've I've no idea and, and no intend to come back and see whether I'm right or not. Um, look, I think I think it's been a really tough year uh, last year for for those in TA, um, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty similar this year. Personally, I think it's it's going to be a year of taking stock. Um, I think I think I was really surprised last year how brutal organizations were with getting rid of some pretty pretty good strong ta leadership um and, and to see some of those go from from an rpo provider's point of view was really surprising and a little worrying um it plays to to our hand of course because you know what happens when the market comes back is you know you're going to see uh rpo providers um thrive i think one of the things that COVID taught us and we've seen um, from last year is organizations are needing to learn how to become resilient and they are looking at organizations that um, have done well in other tough in other tough situations and tough times um, and as a result I think what you'll see is um, recruitment process outsourcing for those people that are asking what RPO is um, you're going to see um, more and more of that become part of an integral strategy um, for internal TA teams. Uh, Adam, to your point, um, I think there is a lot of a need to try and build um, efficiencies in using technology and using platforms like Poetry, not Poetry HR. Um, uh, other products are available. Um, you know, I think there is going to be a need to to look at that. And I think what people like from using an RPO provider is access to that type of technology without necessarily having to make some of the commitments themselves, both financially. Um, it, it also allows them to get through some of the IT, um, some of the IT challenges you have when you start looking about cybersecurity, et cetera, if you're running some of that tech and some of those platforms um, outside of a internal organization. One of the, the big things that we saw in 2022 was um, really a large number, nearly 88% according to Everest, um, uh, were first, first adopters of RPO solutions. So it meant more and more organizations were looking at alternative ways of um, procuring talent. Um, and that type of RPO um, 
was was really really relevant um and i'm seeing um some stuff here talking about rpo versus embedded i i, I mean i think there is there are a couple of things so to take to take that point one of the things that we saw off the back of probably you know off to the back of covid we saw a large number of traditional staffing businesses and TA folks set up their own what they were calling RPO or project-based RPO solutions and there is a real need for those type of solutions from customers where where they're looking to access recruiters they want easy scalability and they want a conversion of that fixed cost to a variable cost and we saw a lot of that we saw a lot of explosion of that you know, I made a lot of money out of that with Kelly OCG off the back of COVID and our business just grew uh, because there was just that need to have access to, to talent and capable people and do it at scale and at pace. I think what we're going to see in 2024 is there'll be an element of that, but I think we are going to start to see more of a strategic use of outsourcing, whether that's through an RPO, whether that's using um, other people within the ecosystem, you know, if we're talking about tech consultancy, when we're looking at bringing in tech or looking at assessment providers. So I think I think what we're going to start to see for me is an element of TA needing to take a breath. They've been battered. They need to take stock. There's loads and loads of conversations being had at the moment um, around skills-based hiring and how we're doing this and how we're doing that but the reality is you know a lot of the basics just haven't been able to be done by a, a, a number of TA organizations and that's no criticism of people in TA it's just they've been under-resourced and overworked so I think what we've seen is um, a need to kind of almost press pause, reset. You know, we talk about skills-based hiring. Have we really got our workforce planning and workforce demand planning in place to be able to start to understand the long-term future? My personal view is in pockets, absolutely. But as a, a, as a broad brush, I don't think we have. So I think my view for 2024 is I think that there'll be a, a point of taking breath. I think a lot of TA functions will look to understand what can they do themselves and where can they where can they be really effective? And then where I think what we'll start to see is we'll start to see RPOs being used in a more strategic way where we're enhancing existing TA functions. So we have a number of examples where organizations have chosen to keep their own TA function and they do an amazing job and they use us I call it the 80-20 rule because everybody knows the 80-20 rule but you know we're there for that overflow we're there to take some of the to take some of that um, ability to take the pressure away bring some tech solutions in and add smaller numbers of enhancements around building telecommunities um, around diversity, inclusion, that type of stuff we're able to support and we supplement those organisations. And I think we'll see more and more of that in the RPO space. I think the other thing is talking to a global audience and then, then I'll shut up, Hung, I promise, is uh, I, think, I think we're going to see a really different pattern emerging globally 
So I think if we look at APAC, for example, um, and we're seeing a lot of emerging markets coming out of the likes of Dubai and the Middle East, we're seeing some more maturity in uh, traditional APAC markets, but there's still very, very different use of that outsourcing uh, model than it is in the US or in Europe. And I think we're starting to see some real different developments in, in that space. So I, I think it's an interesting year, but a year that people will take the pause. And on that, I'll take a pause. Thank you very much, Rich. Wasn't that a wonderful overview? Um, what I'm hearing from you, Rich, is that there is going to be a greater use of greater first time use of RPO is what I'm hearing. So in other words, maybe you've never tried any kind of outsourcing partner before. This year, maybe the year you're going to give it a shot and it's up for, up for suppliers, whether you're RPO embedded or how which way you want to describe yourself to be able to produce um, a, a service offering that's compatible or suitable to that organization that might be trying it for the first time. Uh, does that make sense to anybody here? If you're in a TA team right now um, and you're thinking, you know what, we're not going to hire, you know, 40 people into the team. However, we may potentially have a, a, a larger than expected need to recruit, in which case we've got a plan for dropping in some third-party resource that can operate as our wingman um, in, uh, in, in, in times when there is, as you, as you say, overflow. So first-time use of, of RPO. Would it be fair to say that deal size would probably be smaller if you have a lot more first-time users on average? Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe less big beast-type deals, maybe lots more smaller chunk-type deals. Uh, would that be a fair uh, commentary um, or, or prediction, uh, Rich? Yeah, I think so. And we saw we saw that, um, you know, we, we, you know, any RPO provider likes a three, five, seven year deal of hundreds of thousands of hires. You know, that's what we that's what we, we all strive for. It's the golden goose. The reality is, you know, I would say probably 90 percent of the deals that we had in the last 24 months started well below 500 hires and they were started as projects of six, nine or 12 months. And a large proportion of those then converted into slightly bigger, slightly longer deals, but not massive, you know, and, and I know everybody's going to sit here and go, oh, you know, it's, uh, for, for it to be a true RPO, it needs to be thousands of hires. I, I don't think so. I think for me, for, for me, it's about the value that it adds. Um, we have, we, we acquired a business in uh, the US called Rocket Power. Um, we acquired it at a brilliant time. It's a tech tech focused business, and we acquired it just before the tech business just completely died on its bottom. Um, but they're they're exceptional. You know, they they hire twenty to fifty people for an organisation, but these are all startup organisations in that kind of fintech or medtech type areas, um, and they do some amazing hiring and some really really impressive work. But it's smaller numbers, but. They, they own it and they, they and they deal with it. And I think we're going to see more and more of that come through, which is really interesting because we're seeing a large number of the bigger RPO players exit some of that space. But they're being filled up with a lot of staffing businesses or non-traditional, what I would consider outsourcing businesses coming into that space. It's it's very crowded. I, I don't want to call it the bottom of the market because it's it's not bottom, it's linear. Um, but in that particular market space, it's becoming very, very crowded. Yeah, and, and we've got a lot, let's not forget, we, we had a lot of uh, uh, talent that was sort of jettisoned into the dispersed, if you like, into the marketplace. A lot of those people will be perfectly capable of uh, delivering some sort of embedded stroke RPO solution at small scale. 
Um, and if they get together with a few more people, then potentially that can scale up for themselves. So in other words, the options uh, will improve for companies that are looking to explore uh, this, uh, this this uh, this angle. Um, all right, Rich, listen, I'm going to have to move you on because I've been told uh, three language. I've got to keep to better time in 2024. I think everyone's correct on that. So thank you very much for uh, uh, for joining us. I'm uh, looking forward. We'll catch up soon uh, again, Rich. I really enjoy us getting together when you're next in town. So uh, let me know when uh, when you want a coffee or a lunch or whatever. And we'll uh, we'll sort that out, mate. Well, do thanks everyone. That was great, great to get that information. I firmly believe in the concept of RPO, and I think it's going to grow. Sarah White's added in the, I think Sarah's about to join us, has said that 20% um, of companies, from 2023 research, 20% of companies are looking at RPO, um, are, are looking into RPO support. I, I, I'm surprised it's that low. I, I would have thought it's higher than that. It um, probably is higher. It's the number of people that have been that 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 uh, were prepared to say or whatnot. I mean, I think when the opportunity arises or when the crisis hits, sometimes it's not like okay, you know you need the resource. Then that elevates as something it's going to happen. So um, so yeah, I do think that's going to be the case. Sarah, I'll bring you on in a sec. I'm going to bring on Shireen first because um, uh, uh, actually uh, Rich touched on this. You know the the the, the growth geographically, regionally uh, about where recruitment work is happening. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, we're going to bring on Shireen. She works in Dubai. Let's have, let's have a, let's have a look at what's happening out there. Um, I think it would be very interesting to, uh, uh, zoom out a little bit, um, and see how that looks in a different part of the world. Um, oh, there she is. Hello, Shireen. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, we can hear you. Great. Um, Shireen, um, Hi, Hunk. for the people who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, sure. So, um. I'm actually managing the talent acquisition department for Medtronic, one of the, if not the first, one medical device company worldwide. Uh, I'm managing the piece or the port of emerging markets based out of Dubai. I'm also the um, advisory board member for RL100 in Middle East. Glad to be with you, Hong. Hi, no worries. And thanks for joining Late Notice. And big shout out to all of the RL100 Middle East folks. I, I love what uh, Lois and Jamie <laughs> are building out there. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, a community emerge in Dubai uh, and in the wider uh, area uh, uh, where there's so much happening uh, in, in that space. Give us an overview. Treat, uh, treat the audience as if they know nothing about the Middle East, Shireen. Uh, can you give us some ideas to what sort of recruitment is going on uh, over there? So this is part of the greater Middle East because Middle East in the past was kind of seven countries. Now it's more than 12 countries. And it's including Saudi and Turkey, North Africa. So in this part of the world, we call emerging emerging markets. So you can imagine it's always double-digit growth. And when this with this double-digit growth, it comes the opportunities. That's why I I was listening to Richard, to you, Adam, and I agree with what you have just said about the evolvement of the Middle East. You will see more and more coming in this area, especially with the uh, development in Saudi Arabia, in Turkey. And you see in this part of the world, also in Africa, you will see in this part of, part of the world, the continuity of the business growing and growing and more investment, actually, business are willing to put in this area. So I believe that the demand will remain the same. It's not going to, to go down with the with the maturity, different in maturity level between companies. Definitely, you will see different maturity levels in hiring, especially with the volume. But I don't expect that will go below. Than 2023, I think this will remain higher, like 
if it's not higher than 2023. Um, and the, the good thing about emerging markets is that you can actually implement new things. You can apply methodology. The adaptability and agility to accept technology, accept the new modeling is really high. So that's why you can see a, the fast, its fast pace and the development is really fast. You can see the result higher than anywhere else in the developed markets. And, uh, and the good thing, the partnership with the government giving a lot of opportunities to the companies. So a lot of associations are giving this kind of opportunity to achieve more goals by partnering with the governments. Um, if you see how Saudi Arabia developed in the last two years, it's amazing. No one was imagined that this will happen. If you look to Turkey, it's still growing and growing. Uh, if you look to the Gulf area, what are the manufacturing plants are putting in place by, by a lot of companies here? It's, it's amazing. And, and, and I really think that the trend in 2024 is going to be challenging because this is going to push us to, to do more, more about technology, more about what else we can present. Um, hiring for skills, definitely something. Hiring for... Sorry. It's okay. Uh, there was, <laughs> well, there was construction going on in the Middle East over there. <laughs> That's not from the Middle East. The new skyscraper has been thrown up. Yeah, there's actually Not deconstruction here. going on. Something just fell off my wall, but I'll, I'll go fix that. Um, don't, don't worry. No, about that. um, <laughs> that's okay. That's absolutely okay. That was I was actually talking about the the trends for 2024. From where I'm seeing it, because I'm 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 talking from the client side. Um, we're we're actually seeing a lot of development in terms of the the demand in high tech. The, the skilled people in the technology part, especially with robotics, with the artificial intelligence, this is going to be increased. The base remain the same. Diversity, inclusion, and equity remain the focus. Um, what people are asking in this area, especially that in this area, you see a lot of young people. So the base actually coming from early talent. You see a lot of early talent hiring, and they are very well equipped with high education and knowledge. So those people are actually looking for flexibility. So like remote work, flexible work, hybrid work. What It's not only about the, the offer itself, the financial. It's more about the benefits. It's more about training and development. What, what companies can provide to those talent? And, and this gives great opportunity for our RBO partners, for recruiters, to do more and more about strategic pipelining and, and also sourcing because this requires a lot of work ahead of time. Yeah, it feels to me, and again, I'm speaking as someone who's ignorant of the area. It's part of the reason why I was <laughs> delighted to bring you on at last minute, um, Shireen. And also, you know, I have plans to do more uh, investigations of different parts of the world this year. It's one of my commitments to the brain food community. Um, but it seems to me um, that, the, that there is that sense, that the, matur the maturation is an important part of it because... You can get in at a, at a place that wants to grow, that wants to kind of move forward. Uh, there's huge mm. amounts of energy there and therefore lots of opportunity. It's almost like yeah. a similar vibe to, let's say, a startup, but it's at like a country or regional scale. Um, yeah. And so lots of things going on. I've noticed as well as quite a few people that I know have moved over to the to, to, to Dubai in particular. Um, and that's just like a small signal, but I kind of noticed that and think, you know what, that's the second person that I personally noticed is I decided to leave, let's say, a big European center to go there. Maybe that's the start of a kind of a hidden trend to see 
uh, to see that happening. Do you see the Shireen? Like, is uh, is there are there recruitment jobs happening in places like Dubai and Riyadh and places like huge. that? Huge, huge in Oman, in Qatar, in Bahrain, in Kuwait, um, in in uh, in the part of um, uh, the uh, the African part in Sub-Saharan, in South Africa, in Turkey, the whole Middle East. It's really is becoming like uh, the most attractive area now. People are coming here for many reasons. Whether they establish their companies and they, they really can work, everyone can work here because of the, a lot of opportunities arise coming from the developments that's happening on ground. The opportunities given to all of them and the ease to do the things. So, as I said, emerging markets famous with that you can implement ideas, they accept the innovation, they accept technology. So it's easy for everyone to really put the hands, put this foot on ground and work. And, and you will see a lot of startup companies, startup companies are, are actually, I remember that in Dubai last year, they announced the number of companies registered in, in the country. And I believe that it was more than 100 or 120 only in quarter. So, so I believe that this is a signal that this is the area where you can invest. This is the area where you can have a look and see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, and I do know a lot of uh, sort of European-based, US-based businesses are yeah. kind of having to diversify their their, their focal point because um, they have to recognize where the growth is. Europe at the moment is anemic at 0.5% growth or something. That's going to have an effect um, it's just in terms of how aggressive you can be as a, as, as a, in the recruitment space. So, um, so yeah, I can totally uh, see more happening there. Adam, you're about to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say your point about like people moving to Dubai. I think I think probably like five plus years ago, there was quite a lot of people. Like Dubai became the new Australia for talent acquisition leaders. There was a lot of people moving there. Um, but the thing that I've noticed the most, really stark over the last twelve months, has been the amount of people yeah. moving to Saudi Arabia and moving to yes. Riyadh. Because it's a big project. Mega, Huge. mega projects and things. And exactly. a lot of people in the UK in, in town positions. And every sector, if you look to the airport sector, like construction, uh, food and beverage, um, medical, uh, manufacturing everywhere, because they're giving also privileges for those who are investing in the country by giving the, uh, the golden visa, by really facilitating their um, work permits and ease to stay there. And and it's it's really amazing to see the the amount of development going on in this part of the world. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I need to speak to a few people who are who are involved in this. As a friend of mine, as a, he might be watching this, Oli Fletcher or something. I don't know whether you know him, but um, yeah. isn't he involved in like you know recruiting Red Sea Project or something like this? Is that, no, okay. he, he's Kev, Kevin is Neom. Uh, Oli Fletcher runs talent acquisition at Red Sea Project. He's been there for about four years now, I think. Um, and yeah, it's it's great. He, Right, we need to get him on the show, obviously. Um, listen, Shireen, we've got to move on real quick. Thank you so much for dropping us a little bit of that insight. We're going to do a special show on what is happening, in particularly in the Middle East, probably just narrow it down even to Dubai. I think that'll be enough. Uh, so we'll do that in due course. But it's good to kind of get the sense that, you know, there's different parts of the world will operate in different ways. And from a recruitment perspective, there'll be, there'll be things happening somewhere on the planet, uh, in which case... Uh, there's opportunities there. Um, great to yep. see you, Shireen. We'll be in touch. Thank okay? you so much, guys. Thank you. Cool. Keeping with the international theme, um, we're going we're to bring on Sarah White. Um, Amit, we're going to bring you on at the end. I hope that's okay. Um, Sarah White, where are you? There she is. Um, we're going to accept this. Um, terribly early for Sarah. I hope this is going to be okay. Um, but I do know she's been busy with like all kinds of, uh, you know, 
Um, parental response. It's 6.45. That's too early for me, mate. Yeah, no. um, oh, yeah, it is 6.45. It was 5.45 when I got on. Oh, I, I really feel bad getting you up uh, so early in the morning, uh, Sarah. So uh, uh, thank so you so much for joining us. Uh, wonderful to see you. Um, Sarah, for the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Like, who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I am the Sarah White, the founder of Aspect 43. We are a strategy firm and a research firm focused on HR tech, work tech, talent tech, all of the things. Um, my background is in, I also just got Invisalign, so I can't talk quite yet. So my that and early mornings, so apologies. Um, my background is in the TA side of the world. And so I have, uh, you know, been a part of a bunch of, I think, 14 exits at this point in TA tech and done about a billion dollars of M&A in the space. Fantastic stuff. And Sarah, uh, I've just shared Sarah's LinkedIn there. Please make sure you do connect with Sarah. Um, uh, what's your perspective of 2024? How would you give it? Could you give us like both a, a big macro overview and then dive into maybe some segments or some areas that you think, okay, here's, here's particularly notable uh, that you're prepared to make some sort of uh, uh, some sort of forecast on, Sarah? Yeah, I think what we started the show off with, those were phenomenal. I mean, that was a long list of some really interesting things. I'm all for the consolidation um, and 100% agree that everybody's very frustrated with all the technology out there, but not just frustrated by how much they're having to buy. They're frustrated with the usage of it um, and quite honestly, the non-usage. And the people that are more frustrated than TA is actually the executives because we've invested so much money in talent acquisition and HR technology over the past five years with next to nothing to show for it. Um, our candidate experience isn't better, our hiring manager experience isn't better, our recruiting manager experience isn't better. And that is a trend we're continuing to hear in our CEO roundtables of non-HR or non-recruiting uh, teams, the CEO roundtables as to why the HR and the recruiting departments are getting hit with layoffs first. Like we've spent so much and we're just not utilizing it and we're not showing ROI and we're not doing some of those. But I do think we're going to see some massive consolidation there. Um, our 2024 research will actually roll out in two weeks. I'll make sure you get a link so we can get something specific for your audience, but uh, what we found last year in both our main and our mid-year was exactly, you know, the they want more platforms, but they don't want to necessarily sacrifice the features in order to get it. Like we can't, everybody's not going to jump on Workday, right? Like we're not going to use Workday for recruiting. Um, we're going to keep buying all of those. I think the other big things that we are 100% going to see we have a huge number of non-HR companies that are reaching out to us. The Marcom, FinTech, um, Sales Tech, all of these areas. In fact, we actually have one that is InfoSecurity that we've been working with, and we are building out their talent acquisition or their HR tech solution for them right now and getting them positioned to go to market and getting roadmaps done. So I think that was a spot on comment about what is happening there. The other big thing that we're going to see is invisible ex user experience. 
And so we're going to see all of the tech uh, move over to where you're not having to log into anything anywhere. You can do it all in the flow of work, whether that is Slack or Teams or your email or in something like poetry, like you're not going to have to jump around and do everything, which was a big push about 10 years ago, eight years ago, was you need to have stickiness in your product. We're learning, like, who cares? Make the money, right? Like, who cares if they're in your product all day, if they're actually utilizing it? And so it's been a slow push, um, both to push like VCs and PEs to understand that concept, and an even slower push to get... Um, heads of product and CEOs on board, but now that they're starting to see that it is working out much better, we are there. Want to see the invisible? <laughs> no, um, very interesting, uh, Sarah. And uh, you, you know what? I think utilization has always been like a very long problem, a, a kind of a, a, yeah. a problem with, within a recruitment for, for a long time. Um, and not to say this will ever be solved, but it may well be that, you know, the next 12 months, is, there's going to be heightened scrutiny uh, as to where uh, are you actually using products that we've spent money on? And if not, we're going to have to make stronger decisions um, uh, uh, than previously in a happier marketplace. Maybe you can kind of let a lot of that stuff slide. So you're going to have a, basically a lot more scrutiny. Quite important for TA teams to figure this out in advance of someone else telling them, I would say. Um, like it's one of the things that you have to do if you're a leader. I mean, we're seeing, you know, not even the, the biggest of the global, but like Fortune 2000 companies um, that we've gone in and done some sample checking of their tech stack with, where they have between 40 and 60 products just for talent acquisition. In some cases, one of the companies had four contracts with LinkedIn. Four. Four full contracts. So they were paying four times over. Nobody at LinkedIn was going to them. Um, and everybody bought in different locations, but they bought for the whole company every single day. Uh, you know, another one was in the process of going through um, to buy video interviewing software. And as we looked through their tech stack and was really diving into this, they already owned three other systems that had just never been implemented in online. And so there's a lot of waste happening. And a lot of it is because in 2020, everybody was just buying, buying, buying like crazy. Um, and so the market right now is talking a lot about how everything has leveled off um, and how slow it is. And when, in fact, we're just back to normal at this point, as far as um, the purchasing of talent acquisition systems and tech and point solutions, all of that, we're just back to the normal point. We've just been operating like crazy for the past four years, which has only made utilization worse. Yeah, if you've got 40 products internally, how are you going to use any of that stuff? Um, and and where is the purchasing decision made? Maybe that's made by a TA a leader or a or a business leader that's no, no, no longer with the business. You know, they walk away with the login. No one has any clue. Um, and it's like just bleeding cash out every month. You just don't know. Um, so lots of things going to be happening there. Adam, you're going to say something? Multiple, multiple applicant tracking systems. Heard of plenty of companies with that recently. Um, Sarah, do you think it's a failure of ours that we've got, have we left the door in talent acquisition technology? Have we just left the door wide open for these companies in sales tech and MarTech and FinTech to come in? Is that our failing that's attracted them yeah. into our space? I think it's our failing on both sides of the market. So from a buyer or practitioner side, um, 
you know, we did this like, ooh, shinies and we chased all the big stuff. And we were like, well, what is so-and-so on stage talking about at this event? And I'm going to buy that because that must be the right thing. And a lot of this stuff was done before people really started to realize and understand the world of influencers and how much money people were getting paid to drop the name of a product on stage or mention something. Um, and, and they weren't necessarily going in and diving in. And we're, it's not just TA, but we're seeing it in HR with certain big names. You know, they get paid $150,000. They write a nice article about it. And then everybody's happy, um, except for the people that bought the product. And so we've got a little bit of that, of not doing the due diligence of what actually we need to buy. And so we just kept buying stuff. Um, and then on the flip side, you have a bunch of TA vendors who quite honestly went into just like the mode of doing the bare minimum for upgrades and changes and not actually looking at what the business was going to need. So they were building for recruiters, which quite honestly is a kiss of death for most of the vendors out there because the recruiters will get what they need, but then they can't actually do the rest of what is needed for their job to be very strategic. And there has to be a both sides of it, especially as we dive into more focus on analytics and the role of talent acquisition is looked at um, under more scrutiny by the C-suite. Sarah, if I if I said talent acquisition, talent acquisition teams have bought what venture capitalists can make money out of funding, is that too simplistic? Wait, say that again. TA teams have bought what VCs have been able to make money out of. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We've been played. Well, I wouldn't say that's true, but I, I, th I think basically th th there's been a disconnect between the people buying the software and the people using it. That's always been the case. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different agendas involved that can confuse the matter. Um, what we have now, though, is certainly a continuation of an environment where there's just going to be greater scrutiny on every dollar spent, every pound spent. Um, and uh, we're, we're not going to be so frivolous. That's going to be an opportunity for people, though, an opportunity for new players to come in. There's going to be, you know, uh, uh, that rationalization does not mean no more purchases. It simply means that smarter purchases are going to occur. Um, and some of those companies that have just, you know, parked software in, uh, you disagree, Sarah, go ahead. I do. Um, I agree 100%. So our amount of spend on talent acquisition tech is not going down. In fact, for many companies, it's going up or it, it, for the majority, it's staying the same. So there's still going to be the same amount of investment. What we are seeing, um, and again, just to preface, like we run the largest buyer behavior study in the world on talent acquisition technology. So we look very clearly as to not just, I don't necessarily care what brand they're buying or anything. We look at how they're buying, why they're buying the motivation behind it, what is driving them to even make the, the decision to do any of this to start with. What we are finding is when stuff like is happening now is happening, they actually default into the safe option. And so they're going to default into whoever has the biggest brand name, whoever does the biggest marketing, whoever is doing this, not necessarily what product is best for them. And so our company spends a lot of time, we have a different division that is what's called an analyst group or a research group, and it is uh, completely unbiased, unrelated to the strategy side of our business. 
where we do large scale um, content completely for free. All of our research is free. We put it out there just to help people better understand what the options even are. Because we know based off of the other side of the data that they are defaulting, again, just to whoever has spent the most money in marketing, which makes it even harder for those early entrants to be able to come in. Um, because there's this belief that, well, if I ask, you know, maybe I'll ask something in a chat or I'll ask something on LinkedIn and whoever makes the most comments, that must be the right thing. Or whoever my competitor uses must be the right thing without kind of actually, you know, we've been talking about a little bit in chat, following the, um, following the money is always the biggest thing, whether it is research, whether it is, um, you know, with marketing or who's making the suggestion, I always suggest following the money. I think on this, though, social proof is still so important uh, and it's not the right way to make a decision, but it is unfortunately the way decisions are made. Um, I, I say this all the time because you see it in, let's say, the brain food group where people say, hey, uh, I'm looking for this product, any names and any, a bunch of people volunteer names. And you, you just know that all of those companies nominated are going to end up on the demo. They're going to be it's going to be one of those. And if you're not percent of companies do that way, what's interesting when we dive into that of all the companies listed, uh, only 60 or 60 percent of them have never actually used the product. They happen yeah. to know the name of the brand or they saw them at a conference. So we actually know that the brand visibility is way more vital for social proof. So as you're saying, like, oh, we got scammed. Well, we're the company that helps do that, right? Like that's why I'm trying to explain how this works because that social proof doesn't mean that somebody ever actually used the product. And typically when it's a negative experience with it, um, they, they have used the product, but they usually did it with a bad implementation. So 64% of the time somebody had a negative experience, it actually had nothing to do with that product at all. It was that the company or the end user didn't get trained properly or the implementation was wrong or anything. And so it's how it's, it is how it is purchased, but it's also the least successful way to buy technology for actual right. ability. What we're going to do, we're going to have to do a show on this. It would be quite interesting to do a how to buy HR tech. Let me know, folks. Is that Would that be interesting? We'll get Sarah back in. We're getting some system integrated types. You know, how do you buy software? What's, that, what's the best way to do it? Would that be interesting? Let me know in the comments. I send uh, a, a thing over that you could send out this week. We have a report on it. I'll just send it over. It's from like yeah. two years ago, but we'll, we'll at least get that over. If you do have anything, please do share. I'll be very, very interested in. I think not none of us know how to do it. Is the, is the reality, which is why we lean on so social hard. proof because uh, we're because because we you know we're hoping someone else has done the due diligence for us because they've done it and it was okay. Therefore, that must be good for us. I think it's very similar to buying a big item, buying a car, buying whatever it might be. You ask your mates, and you know you're not going to do something they veto. Um, but you're generally going to do one of their options that they've suggested. All right, we've got loads of yeses coming in here. Sarah, I've just noticed the time. We've got to keep flying through because we've got Amit to bring on. Wonderful to see you. I hope you have a very good rest of the day. Thank you so much for getting up early and joining us. We'll get you back now. Now that you've uh, you know broken the seal, um, and, and I know you better get up early, we'll get you back uh, uh, for another show. Um, great to see you, Sarah. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Cool. Um, all right, folks, listen, I forget I forget about this. Um, I nearly forgot about it, but we have to do it every week because one of the reasons why Brain Food Live 
is, I think, a plus for the community is because it enables other people that have never met each other before to connect, grow network, and then have a conversation going forward after we come off air, which needs to be soon because we're already at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. Um, so take a moment, folks. Grab your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream if you're watching this on Crowdcast then make sure you connect with everyone else who's done the same. If you're watching this on any of the LinkedIn's out there, whether you're on mine, you're on Adam's, you're on Caroline's or whoever's LinkedIn that uh, you're watching it, get your LinkedIn URL, put it into uh, the comment thread there and then connect with everyone else you see that's done the same. Um, you should walk away with 50, 60, 70 new connections to start your year off in the right way. Okay, let's bring on Amit. Um, he's been a guy I've been wanting to get on the show for ages and he's been waiting very patiently. Uh, let's bring him on. I think a lot of you folks might not know Amit, um, but um, I I'll wait until he comes on. We'll, we'll introduce him properly. Um, there he is, Amit Taylor. Hey thanks, for being, thanks for being patient, Amit. Happy New Year to you. Wonderful Happy to New see Year. you. Um, uh, Amit, uh, for the people who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Amit. I uh, am the founder of TrueUp. Uh, which you could find at trueup.io. It's a career platform for people who work in tech that is now transitioning to more of a marketplace. to also a place to hire people uh, who work in tech. Um, we have a ton of da data. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people enjoy our data and insights, our lay layoff trackers, very pop popular, has been very, very popular recently. Uh, but also just a lot of really good job da data in in tech, and so happy yeah, to talk and, about any of that. And it's been amazing to, to you're still one person, as I understand it, doing all of this. So it's cr crazy that one guy has put all of this together. But I've seen true up like literally so many different publications publish data from your website in terms of the layoff tracker, how you present that, and then keeping it in it kind of uh, uh, data current. Uh, so many publications. I think I've seen it in the EFT even. I've seen it everywhere. It's like everyone's yeah, quoting you. So it's, it's crazy how that's going. Uh, I'll po post a, a link here in the uh, the uh, chat for – actually, th this is specifically a link for uh, a, a job, job, job chart that we have, but the uh, layoff tracker – uh, yeah, it kind of just went vi viral or kind of repeatedly goes viral every time there's a pick, pick up around lay layoffs, which unfortunately has been pretty common over the last year or so. Well, hang on. You're sharing these links here. Why don't we just take a look straight, straight away, Amit? I mean, in, in terms of like, um, and you can talk us through what these things are. I mean, are you able to, to pull up? Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't re realize I could actually. Um, yeah, if you share screen, yeah. then we could maybe just drop dive straight in and have a look-see. I also know we're at time already, so... Uh, don't worry, don't worry. We're going to keep rolling. If you've got time, we've got time. Cool, cool. I think I can also fix this weird Mars U I have going on here. Don't worry. Yeah. It looks great, man. <laughs> here, here, here we go. Here we go. Back, okay, cool. Back, back on back on planet, planet Earth. Um, what are we looking so, at, man? So uh, this chart's probably an interesting starting point of all the jobs that we track. So we try to track every open job at every large tech company uh, and then all of the start startups out, out there. Um, also try to do glo globally track all these companies, but admittedly we're best in the US, pretty good in Europe. 
uh, in the rest of the world, except for not good in China and J Japan at, the, at the, mo the moment. So it is a somewhat biased data set. But you can see here, 2022, uh, we peaked like an all-time high of almost 500,000 jo open jobs at these com companies. Uh, and then 2022 was a pretty brutal, brutal year. Uh, and then 2023 was incredibly flat. Just flat, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just didn't, like, I mean, it is up 13% uh, from that low, but uh, yeah, just very, very flat. Um, which is a little bit troubling, I think. Um, that's a long because, time, man. It looks like that's an entire year's worth of basically zero growth on tech jobs, effectively. Um, yeah, and it was a time when the market recovered for a lot of these companies. So I think maybe looking at big big tech in particular, um, their stocks are pretty much back to where they were at their, their highs in a lot of ca cases. And their hiring is just nowhere near back to what their their high, their highs were. And so uh, I kind of thought okay, well the, when the market re recovers, hiring will re recover and we haven't seen that so far. So I don't know, you know, I'm not great at making these long-term predictions on the hiring market, but uh it's I it's a little bit scary to think okay, when when do we get back to where we were or are we just not getting 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 back there? I believe that a lot of recruiting teams that downsized in 2023 are not going to be scaling up and they're going to be um, told to work out how they can fill more jobs with smaller numbers of people. Whether you agree with that or not, my question is, do you think that this same uh, concept would extend to tech teams? Because I can see that a tech team that's gone from 300 people to 220 people has probably got access to more things than they did a year ago to be able to move faster. So are, are tech teams going to be smaller? Uh, I think that's the thought or the trend with a AI. I'm, I think it's kind of what you're maybe alluding to there. Part, part um, of partly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's definitely the thought of like teams. I think it was, it's almost not that they need to get more nimble than they were historically, but that they just got so blo bloated the last few years with hiring where so many people were hired. There were so many kind of middle layers of man man management that were added that made a lot of these like bigger tech companies in inefficient yeah. that like, we're just never going to get back to what seemed like was, was the, uh, the new norm normal a couple years ago. And there will be a lot of this premium. You know, I have some experience that like I, I did work in big, big tech. And I kind of saw, I think, a little bit of that uh, first, first, first hand when I was there of just the process and the bloat uh, that in re retrospect, we're just never getting back to that again. Yeah. And so I, I think we, we might have hit big tech, big tech size, so to say, I think. Like the, those companies are never going to be that size in terms of their engineering component um uh because you can't see that yeah. even uh, it, it, there's two sort of big 
big trends. It's not only a high interest rate environment has completely changed the game from an investment perspective, but it's also this uh, sort of arrival of generative AI, which apparently is making engineering super productive. Well, okay, if that's the case, then you can imagine that, you know, there's no need to hire huge batteries of, uh, of, uh, of, of software engineering teams anymore. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, Amit, um, what else are we looking at here? Flick over to the layoff tracker. Yeah, How, no, are, we, are, we, are we past yeah. layoff now? And favorite here, uh, layoff tracker. So this looks like a pre pretty uh, good trend here. Again, this is specifically in the tech industry or tech com companies that we consider tech. So it's not going to cover all layoffs. Um, but you can see this trend looks relatively good, although you know this even the steady state is just not great here. Uh, and if you look to before all these layoffs, there were just really not many layoffs happening in in tech. Uh, prior to all this, uh, what just passed out of this chart is the Jan is is last Jan January, which was the worst month for layoffs, I think, potentially ever ever in in tech. The number was over a hundred thousand there, and I do think generally January structurally can be rough because companies don't want to do layoffs over the ho holiday period, so they decide to do layoffs and then waited until January last year. And so I think we're going to see what happens this Jan January. I, I, I definitely will not be as bad as last Jan January was, but it will, you know, there's going to be more layoffs this, this month, obviously. Um, and then I don't really know how to make predictions on what's going to happen. No, no, no. Don't worry about the predictions. I think the data itself is super, super interesting. Um, okay, Amit, because time is running short now, but before we let you go, can you give us a few more like looks in terms of what you're personally getting involved with on this site? Like, why should people be excited about TrueUp? Uh, what what kind of things are interesting for uh, other people to investigate and look at here? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, so TrueUp, uh, again, it started off as just a career platform for people looking for jobs. So if you want to search for, for jobs, uh, this you just go to TrueUp.io slash jobs have all the, like, this is all the underlying data at these companies. And so you could, for example, look uh, in different areas of, uh, I know obviously a lot of people here in re recruiting, but you want to look for like a product product manager or here, we could do a pe people job, re recruiting job, 966 jobs in re recruiting at these tech companies that are still current currently open. Uh, we have, all sorts of AI on top of this and a lot of data. So you can see the last time a company had layoffs directly in, in the, the job posting here. Uh, so check, check it out. Uh, a ton of data, a ton of jobs, and always feel free to reach out to me if you have any thoughts or comments on what we are building. That's very interesting. And I've got to let you go, Amit, but I do notice you mentioned diversity in one of the people groups there. And we've seen some chat on, on, on the, on the, uh, uh, the, the, the chat thread about whether diversity is up, down, uh, sideways. We know, uh, obviously, it's, it's sort of in a bone of contention at this point. So I'll be interesting to track that figure to see whether that grows or not, because I think tech companies were, uh, to a large extent, providing a lot of the leadership when it came to, to pushing diversity and, and, and having diversity sort of professionals in there. So that's an interesting uh, signal to figure out. Anyway, Amit, we're going to let you go. TrueUp.io, that is definitely something people should check out. Uh, you can stop sharing the screen now, Amit. I don't want to force you to do that, but I think I can. Um, and uh, yeah, listen, thank you so much for joining, man. We've got to let you go. Um, you have a very good year. We'll catch up with you soon, Amit. Great information. Cool.
Yeah, he's, I tell you what, one guy putting all that together is crazy. This is the power of one developer, pre-generative AI, right? He's put all that together. I, I hope he's making money out of it. Um, but it, him plus a, a, a GitHub co-pilot, I fully expect this to be like a mega thing going forward. All right, we have to let, let, it, let it go there. Um, the reason why we're letting it go, because next week we're going to do part two of Forecasting 2024. We've got another bunch of amazing people join. I don't even remember or know who those people might be, uh, but it'll be another ensemble class like uh, uh, cast like this telling us a bit about their domain and what their forecasts are. Make sure you follow the channel if you want to be, be part of that. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, follow my page, a personal page. I can't connect with you, unfortunately, but you can follow it. And whenever I go live, you'll be able to see uh, a notification saying Brave Food Live is going live. Okay, that's it. I'll see you next week. Thanks for watching, everyone. Ah, good Lord. That was pretty good. Busy as usual. Sorry for running. Just leave it. Just leave it on for the next hour or so. I've got a lot of chat to respond to in here. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna log off, and you can carry on chatting to everyone. No, over there. I've I got mean, that's... other stuff. I've got other stuff to do. But my point is that there's a. I mean, there's always a good engagement in the chat on there these is. sessions, it's a, but it's a different conversation, been, isn't it? Um, this one's been and... even more than normal. No, and I think that's fine, folks. Uh, do feel free to continue to have dialogue. Um, I don't know whether you want to stay on because what I can do is actually switch off the, the broadcast. I'm going to do that now. And then basically you can keep talking to them or if you want to just bounce off and leave it, then uh, we can do that as well. Who knows? Um, what, do you know, I, I just want to ask you a quick question, right? I believe, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if every industry has as many arguments as we do in recruitment, right? But the, the, the reason I think for that is because recruitment in the Middle East looks completely different to recruitment in the USA. Um, the job of a recruiter in a, you know, um, I don't know, a, a high street sort of commercial temp agency is absolutely nothing like the job that someone's doing in Michael Page. That's nothing like the job that somebody's doing in, you know, Spencer Stewart or Corn Ferry. It's a completely different job. And then you've got people in different industries where everything is different. People doing temp is a completely different thing from people doing perm. There's just so many different vantage points and everybody thinks that their vision of the world is recruitment. Well, in actual fact, they don't it's see eye to eye because yeah. they don't it's a different thing. Yeah, well, we're actually misusing the term. Uh, if we actually had different words to describe what the heck we did, then actually we'd have less arguments. I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, you, you can often have two people have a massive proper yeah, hammer and tongs argument and they're both right from their own perspective. You can see actually from their world, they're correct, but because their world is like not the entire world, therefore it becomes chaotic. It's part of the reason why it's quite funny and, and good to do, but it's also something that's worth bearing in mind in case you get too irate um, because the chances are simply a, a perspective thing. People are actually looking at a different part of the, uh, part of the beast. Um, so, uh, so there we have it. Yep. All right. All right. I'll Cheers. see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye.